Grab your favorite caffeinated beverage and get cozy because you are listening to Mindful as a Mother with Paige Bruce and Lindsay Adams. Hey, hey, I just wanted to pop on here real quick before the episode starts and give a quick disclaimer. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic relationship, and the information given in this podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the advice of a professional. Now that that's out of the way, I really hope you enjoy this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review if you enjoy it because it helps the podcast grow. And don't forget to be peace, be love, be mindful as a mother. Hello and welcome back. Lindsay here. I'm super excited for today's episode because this episode applies to everybody and every parent and there will be something that every parent, no matter the age of your child, can take from this episode and implement so that you can show up in a more attuned way. In your parenting. The topic is big feels <laughs> and how to ride your child's emotional wave. Before I dive into the tips, I just want to talk a little bit about emotions and how they show up for us and how we can teach kids about them. Some people really just feel things more deeply and this can be referred to as like a highly sensitive person, maybe an empathic person. Some people just have big feels and that's okay. And I think if you have a child that has big feels, but you don't necessarily have big feels or you have big feels and your child has big feels, it can be really difficult to parent in those highly emotional moments. And that's why I really wanted to do this episode is because I have big feels. So I know what it's like to show up and try and comfort a child when I am feeling a lot just from their reaction. And I think first, let's talk about the different stages of emotional development. Um, a young child, three and under, um, but that toddler age is where people usually start to ask about tantrums and meltdowns. And this is because your child's brain is wired to for curiosity and independence. And they learn how to stay calm from the adults in their life who are models for how to stay calm to them. And this is where co-regulation comes in. It's a super important part of emotional regulation um, and is really the foundation for self-regulation. And so co-regulation is regulating with another person. And when our kids are toddler aged, we want to make sure that we are doing this with them because we are teaching them how to stay calm and how to take deep breaths and what it's like to regulate. Now, if you didn't have this experience as a child, it can be really difficult to show up in a calm way. And if that is the case, you may need to work on regulating yourself first, either by taking a break or having the other parents step in and just working on your triggers outside of the situation. When we talk about the ages of three to five, this is where more learning to control impulses and um, having big emotions from boundary pushing come in. They test limits and then they rely, but they are still deeply attached to their caregivers. So if your child is age three to five, they want to do it by themselves, 
but the second it doesn't work, they want you to help them, right? So it's like that. I'm going to go explore, but I'm going to keep looking and checking to make sure that mom or dad is still right there. So not feeling quite safe, but this is where they're like testing the limits. What will happen if I touch that stove? What will happen if I don't listen to mom? What will happen if I throw this toy at my sister? This is also where children tend to get verbiage for feelings and words. Ages five to seven is where kids are starting to understand their own feelings and they're starting to worry more about what other people think about them. They're more aware of that. They still really need that co-regulation piece, but sometimes they can come to you and ask for co-regulation or they are able to start to calm down by themselves. Seven to nine, kids tend to have a higher degree of self-regulation. This doesn't mean all kids, and it doesn't mean if your child can't that something's wrong with them. They may just need extra help or extra skills, and that's okay. Um, Seven to nine, we're learning empathy, and we're starting to understand how other people feel in situations, and you have a little bit more control of your emotions. So this is where the public tantrums usually stop because kids start to care what other people think about them or how they may perceive their big emotions. But at home, still big emotions, and they still rely heavily on that parent attunement and co-regulation. 9 to 12 is where kids start experiencing more complex peer relationships, which can mean that they have bigger emotions and feelings about those friendships. They can sometimes self-regulate, sometimes co-regulate. They have better control and they're morphing more into like being an individual and they care a lot what other people think about them. They're very self-conscious and self-centered. It's just the phase of development they're in. This is where a lot of arguing and sassiness can start because of that. And so if you have a big arguer, developmentally normal, especially at this age. 12 plus, we are back to pretty much being a toddler. <laughs> um, and even brain-wise, their upstairs brain, which is responsible for rational thinking, problem solving is under construction. There's a lot of big changes going on there. There's a lot of hormone changes back to emo big emotions, lots of moodiness. And this is the probably one of the most difficult ages to parent because they want you to comfort them and they also don't want you to comfort them. And so you're constantly in this push pull with them. So learning to navigate that can be really important so that you can be there and help them ride the wave of their emotions. If you've listened to previous episodes, you may know that I love and use human design a lot. Um, if you don't know what human design is, it is like astrology on steroids. If that is something that you are into, um, listen up. I'm going to share some cool things about that and emotions, but if not, just hang on and then we will be back to the other content. So my friend Amanda and I have been hosting these human design events uh, monthly where uh, parents can come and learn about their child's human design. And if you're new to human design, it's astrology on steroids. It's like how your energy or your child's energy shows up in your body. And some people it's a little too woo-woo for it and that's okay, but it's been the most helpful thing for, for me, like more helpful than any like personality test or astrology or anything like that because it's helped me understand and accept parts of myself and my children. So my girls have a very different emotional human design than me and Sam and it's been really helpful. 
been really interesting because before I knew about their human design, I always felt more connected to Sam. And I had a lot of guilt about that because I felt like I understood him better. And I don't know if that's because he is neurodivergent or it just, I don't know what it was. And once I learned about my kids' different charts and my girls' human design, they have the same chart because they're twins. I totally got it. And it's because me and Sam are very similar in how we feel and express our emotions. And my girls have a completely open solar plexus. And if you're not um, familiar with human design, you may not understand this, but that means that they take on everyone's energy around them. So, and, and they kind of amplify it. So um, if it's stressful or tense, then they are stressed and tense to uh, times a hundred. And understanding this helped me help them and show up and be more connected with them in a way that I wasn't able to before. So if you haven't, or if you are interested, we will be hosting more of these workshops. Definitely want to tune in for those and looking into um, their emotional waves using human design can be super helpful in showing up for your kids. And the goal with any tool whether it's human design or um, neuroscience. And I use both because I firmly believe that both are effective and both have a, a place and they are just that tools to help me connect and be more attuned to my kids. And we know that attunement creates secure attachment and that's the goal, right? So attunement is responding warmly and feeling seen, heard, and understood. So we just want our kids to feel seen, heard, and understood in their feelings and we also have to live in the real world where we have to go to bed and we have to be places by a certain time and we have to do chores and we have to learn responsibility. And so figuring out how to mesh those two worlds as a parent can be super rough. My first tip for integrating both of those things is connect before you redirect. Now, this term came from Dr. Dan Siegel. He wrote, he writes a bunch of amazing books about uh, neuroscience and parenting um, and I think he has some books for adults too. I'm not even sure. But one of the things he explains in the whole brain child is that you have a right brain and a left brain and our right brain is responsible for emotions and, uh, big feelings and fears and feelings and physical sensations. And the left brain is a more logical putting words to, uh, situations. And when uh, small children are more right brain dominant almost all the time. This is just like how our brain develops and the way it develops. So understanding that, that your child is going to live more in the physical emotions, the the big reaction sense um, up until their left brain is more developed. So keeping that in mind, the, the tip of connecting before you're redirecting is this is where you acknowledge and validate your child's feelings before you problem solve. So let me give an, you an example with toddlers and teenagers. Toddlers are playing together and someone wants one toy and the other person also wants that toy. Your child comes to you and says, I am so, I'm mad so-and-so won't share with me, even though you know that it's not your child's turn and that they need to wait for their turn. Now, if we come in with the logical left-brained approach of saying, you need to wait your turn, we're not appealing to our child's right brain, which is where they are functioning out of. We need to meet them where they are, which is in their right brain. So if we say, you are really mad because you want it to be your turn, they may say yes and elaborate. They may not say anything. And we're like, oh, I totally get it. I don't like waiting either. You're 
And at this phase, you're probably cuddling them, rubbing their back, connecting with them, right? And then as you feel them calm down, this is where co-regulation is important. You know when your kids are crying and then like there's that deep breath and you can tell like the calm down has started. Once they have started the calm down, that's when you can say, what can we do about this? Do, would you like to set a timer for when it's your turn or let's go tell so-and-so that when they're done playing, then you can take a turn. Then we can appeal to their left brain, but we have to meet them in their right brain first. Okay, now let's talk about um, a teenager. You tell a teenager that they can't borrow the car. They come at you with, but you let so-and-so their sister borrow the car last week. You're so unfair. You're the worst mom ever. Why are you always picking on me? We could counter with left brain thinking, which is like pulling out our tally sheet of you've borrowed the car 10 times in the past month and your sister has borrowed it once and we need the car this night, but they're not in that place. They are not ready to have that conversation or make that connection yet. You could respond to something like, I understand you're really upset and you feel like it's really unfair that your sister got to borrow the car yesterday, but when you asked to borrow it tomorrow, we told you no. And they'll probably be like, yeah, I don't get it. It's so unfair. It feels like you're always favoring her over me and I didn't do anything wrong and I'm a good kid and I I don't get in any trouble and she was grounded last week and you just only notice the bad things I do and why don't I get the same level of freedom that she does? This is where you could say, oh, I get that that really does feel unfair and that it feels like we favor her over you. And once they calm, and with teens, you can tell because they'll just be kind of like, they'll stop adding on to what you're saying and they'll just be like, yeah, that's where, and you see their body calm down. You can say, okay, and I want you to know that we love you very much and we are so proud of you. We're still kind of appealing to the right brain here. And we are not intentionally trying to make you feel like you have less privileges than your sister. So what can we do to make it feel more even? And this is where you can open the problem solving conversation. And you're doing two things here. You can talk about the car situation. How can we problem solve the car situation? Dad needs the car for this. And I know that you want to do this. How can we make both work? And when you're approaching these problems from a cooperative way, using your left brain, your child felt seen, heard, and understood, and you didn't engage with the power struggle with them. You rode their emotional wave, right? Like if you had gone in with like, well, you blah, 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 and your sister, um, this, and then it just escalates and escalates. And there's a further divide between you and your child. Whereas you were able to connect with them first and then say, let's problem solve this issue so that, I mean, everyone feels okay after, and they, they may still not be able to borrow the car, but you have heard and understood them. And that's really just what most teenagers want to hear. Most of the time they do understand the logic behind things. Um, they just want to feel heard and understood. The next tip is narrating, storytelling, dance eagle calls it, name it, to tame it, whatever you want to call this skill. It is so important for our kids and we need to start doing it with them as toddlers, but it's helpful throughout the entire lifespan. There's all this research showing that talking calms the emotional center of our brain. That is why talk therapy is effective. It feels good to talk about our feelings or to vent our frustrations. Also, because young children are primarily right hemisphere dominant, they they don't have the words usually for their emotions or reactions. 
um, and they don't know how to label what it feels like in their body until we give the language to them. So from a young age, we want to start narrating when they are upset. So your two-year-old who isn't verbal is throwing a tantrum and you want to narrate what's happening for them. Oh, you're crying. You must be really sad. You don't want to come inside right now. I know that's the worst. And helping them give feeling words to um, their physical responses. So labels to their physical responses and then feeling words to the emotions that they're feeling. This helps them develop the left center of their brain so that they have that expressive language. It also still helps them feel seen and heard. And because of mirror neurons, meaning that our children's brain neurons mirror our own. So if you're cuddling them, rubbing their back, talking through these things, um, this is helping their emotional centers calm down, even if they are not the ones doing the talking. As they get older, we can help them talk through what they are feeling to help calm the emotional center of our brain. I'll give you an example with my own kids. My twin girls turned four last weekend. And something I've learned about them is that they just need to express their feelings and then normally they are totally fine. So, um, yesterday we, they got a trampoline for Easter and Ella comes in crying and she's telling me that her sister pushed her down. She hurt her knee and she's like hysterical. And my reaction was I picked her up. I stopped what I was doing. I picked her up. We sat on the couch. I rubbed her back and I said, tell me what happened. And she said, sister, but Nina, am I? And, my, and so I said, oh, your sister pushed you down and your knee hurts. And she said, yeah. And I said, show me your, your knee. Let me see. And so she pulls up her pants and there's a little red spot. I'm like, oh, that must hurt so bad. Did that hurt? Yeah, that re really hurt. And, and she made me mad. And I was like, oh yeah, she made you mad. And then all of a sudden she looks at me and she goes, she takes a breath and you can tell she's coming down. And then she just like, can I go play back outside? She just needed someone to hear her and to help talk her through what had happened. And this is the perfect example of like connecting that right and left brain. So at those middle ages, you can help them put language to what they are experiencing. And this actually calms that emotional center of the brain and they are through the big emotion and then they can return to what they were doing. Now, I know not every situation is like this. And sometimes your child will become upset when they are told no, or they have consequences or they have to do something they don't want to do. And you still want to approach it from the place of, I need to comfort them first. An example that they use in the whole brain child, which I, this is the perfect example for this is you don't swim. If you're a lifeguard, you don't swim to the middle of the, um, the pool and rescue someone. But before rescuing them, you tell them that they shouldn't swim out that far if they can't swim, right? You rescue them first. You bring them to the side of the pool with you. And then you say, Hey, don't swim out that far again. So with your kids, we want to do the same thing. We want to bring them from the side of the pool, from their dysregulated brain and body to a calm place. And then we can say, Ooh, and we, we can be really mad, but we don't hit. And so you're going to have to do this or this, or, um, I know that you're really mad and we still have to clean our room. So let's go figure out how to clean our room together. Getting back to that more like collaborative problem solving approach something that comes up a lot in talking to parents is they talk about bedtime stalling. Like I know my child is stalling bedtime and saying that they're scared when they're really not. And how do I approach that? And I think the best thing we can do is still approach it from the perspective of they are having that feeling and it is real. Comfort them and say, 
I'm so sorry you're scared. Tell me what you're scared about listening to what they're saying. And if they're not able to tell you what they're scared of, just validating. Yeah, sometimes it's scary to be alone in the dark. And sometimes I have a hard time falling asleep too. And then once they come, you can say, what do you think would help you fall asleep? Should we turn the lights on? Should we leave the door open? And you can offer um, comforts and boundaries that aren't necessarily like you laying in there with your kids or um, them coming into your bed. I know that some parents are like really trying to get away from that and you can be comforting and still have a boundary. And I think that's the most important thing to learn from like riding the emotional waves of our kids are that we're not going to get through to them or learn any lessons when they are in that heightened state. We have to ride the wave first and that we can um, ride the wave and validate and empathize and cuddle and help them get to the edge of the pool and we can still hold boundaries and I know it's really tricky and that sometimes kids don't accept boundaries well but if we do these things it actually makes accepting the boundary easier because they feel heard and seen it is so much easier to do something you don't want to do when you feel heard and seen imagine going to your boss and um, and I, I know sometimes this happens, but if you have a project you don't want to do it or you think they're doing it the wrong way and you say, hey, I feel like we could do things better this way. And they're like, no, nope, do it this way just because I said so. But if they sit down and they say, oh, I understand that you're feeling like you're doing some extra work here. What can we do to fix this? You're way more likely to do the project and do a good job, aren't you? Your kid same thing. So it's taking these skills and applying them to our children and getting out of the mindset of you need to comply or behave immediately and into the mindset of you are a human with feelings and emotions. And if I meet your needs first, we are more likely to find a solution that is peaceful and agreeable to everyone. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please subscribe, rate, and review because it helps Paige and I grow the podcast. And I'll see you next week. Hey, it's Paige. If you or someone you know is looking for therapeutic services, I'm accepting new clients in Idaho over telehealth or in person. So go ahead and check me out at www.parentingwithpage.com, skim my bio, and contact me via the contact form. Talk to you soon. Thanks for coming to Mindful as a Mother podcast. If you'd like more of us and Mindful as a Mother, you can find Paige at Instagram at Parenting with Paige and Lindsay at Linz underscore Adams LCSW. Find us on TikTok, Instagram, and in our Facebook group, creating community and smashing parental stigma, embracing mindful motherhood and positive parenting. Thanks so much and see you next time.